0: Eu sou favorável à tortura,
1: sabe
2: disso?
0: Last Saturday, hundreds of thousands of women took to the streets to demonstrate against far-right presidential candidate Jair Bolsonaro. The congressman who leads the presidential race has publicly called women ignorant, too ugly to rape, and undeserving of the same salary as men. Two days later, IBOP, one of Brazil's most prestigious opinion polling institutes, published a new poll, and the numbers were quite surprising. Jair Bolsonaro rose by four points to 31%, while Workers' Party candidate Fernando Haddad stalled at 21%. But the most surprising thing about Ibope's numbers was that Jair Bolsonaro actually put better among women, growing six points among them. As usual, Brazil's presidential race gets crazy over the final few days. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. With me today is, as usual, Diogo Rodrigues, staff writer at The Brazilian Report. Hello, Diogo. Hello, Gustavo. And joining us today in our studio in São Paulo is Alana Rizzo. Alana is an award-winning political journalist who is now an analyst for the Albright Stonebridge Group. Hi, Alana. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hi. Hi, Diogo. Hi, Gustavo. Thank you for having us here.
0: Alana, you attended Saturday's demonstrations. These were the biggest political demonstrations by women in Brazilian history and the biggest demonstrations of this electoral cycle. So. How can we explain why it didn't prevent Bolsonaro from improving his polling numbers?
1: I'm in Sao Paulo right now, so I was in Faria Lima, where was the one of the biggest uh, protests of women in Brazil. And it was huge. It was really huge. You could see uh, different groups of women, you could see gays, especially the groups that Bolsonaro has been attacking. They're all there. Uh, but one of the things that was inter- interesting to see is how w- it still became a, left, a leftist movement. Uh, you could see small groups of right-wing uh, women, but it still uh, mainly was uh, all focused on the leftists. And one of the things that got my attention, it was the after the movement, especially in the WhatsApp groups that I'm part of it, uh, you could see women complaining, especially the ones that are gonna—they're uh, supporting, Volso- uh, supporting Bolsonaro. They were complaining that this was a movement by the feminists that it didn't—it didn't represent all the women in Brazil. And of course, none of the movements are gonna represent uh, everyone. So I think what happened is you could see two different analyses. The first one is uh, who was planning to vote in Bolsonaro got a little bit upset with the this, the idea that this was a movement from all the women in Brazil. So the, it reinforced the idea that this against uh, Lula and against Hadaji that it's the candidate chosen by PT to run after Lula's conviction. And the other thing is... This NTPT uh, sentiment that you could see in the streets, it became bigger after the movement. So you cannot really explain what happened and why it happened, but I think it helps understanding why women, especially the more conservative women, are voting for Bolsonaro and why the ones that were supporting uh, right candidates like Alcmin and Amoedo decided to move uh, their vote or swing their votes to Bolsonaro.
0: And jogo, Alana mentioned the anti-Workers' Party sentiment and this latest poll, it shows that Bolsonaro's rejection rate, so the number of people who say they wouldn't vote for him no matter what, has stayed the same. Meanwhile, Haddad's rejection rates jumped by 11 points, which is pretty significant.
2: Well, yes, that that's something very surprising uh, that this latest poll showed and uh i think that well one of the explanations uh, for that is that adage is now at the center of the campaign lula is, is you know isolated uh, in prison and he has become the center of attention and they had the time to expose him as a pt member and we all know that pt has been uh rightly or wrongly attacked by the press, attacked by, by other parties as the party that, you know, allowed corruption in Brazil. So I think that's one of the explanations for the rise of Adagi's uh, uh, rejection rate. And I think there, there might be others right now. We were talking about this earlier, about the, how the Ibopi poll was conducted in a different manner than the previous ones, Right before the question that asked people who they wouldn't vote for, uh, you know, the, who they rejected the most, they added a question about uh, if the people would vote for Adaj if he was Lula, you know, uh, indicated him as his successor. And that might have an influence on that result because before they didn't do that, they just asked, you know, they'd give people a list and said, who do you want to vote for and who you're not going to vote for. And, you know, that's one possibility but that's not the only explanation i mean Adaj is now you know having to face all the advantages and the contradictions of being lula's successor
0: yeah and uh he has taken part in debates so people are starting to pay attention more and more to the election and are realizing he is the candidate and uh alena do you think there there's a room for a third force or the the first the, the second round has been anticipated into the first round so we're going to see more or less a referendum anti Lula versus anti Bolsonaro.
1: Yeah, I don't think right now I don't think there's a space uh or there's room for a a third uh a, a third candidate. I think Brazil since 2013 Brazil became so polarized that you can you we could expect an elections like this but not the way and with this much hate speech, fake news and, and anger that we see on the streets. So I think exactly what you said, we're gonna we're probably gonna have a first a first round that it's just gonna be exactly like the second one. Anti workers party and anti Bolsonaro.
0: And one question, because you go to Brasilia all the time and you're talking to political actors and the rural caucus, so the landowners, the people who support agribusiness, they are declaring their formal support for Jair Bolsonaro. They have 262 seats out of 513 seats in the House. In a way that they're doing that right now is, in my opinion, to contradict the discourse according to which Bolsonaro is a rogue candidate that would not be able to govern in any way, shape or form. Do you think that this explicit uh, support before Election Day might be a game changer?
1: I don't know if it's going to be a game changer, but I think it's a really important thing. Uh, one of the things that everyone has been discussing is the governability of Bolsonaro government. So his party, PSL, might double the seats that they have in the House of Representatives, but it's still is going to be Uh,
0: Single digits, right?
1: Yes, it's still uh, nothing, especially compared with PT, that it's going to be, if Bolsonaro wins, it's going to be the biggest uh, opposition that he's going to have, that it's probably going to get 50 seats and still going to be the larger uh, bench in the the House. So having the support of the Agriculture Caucus is fundamental for him, especially to get the support of other parties, uh, uh, parties from the Centrão. Centrão is it's the main group of parties that uh, guarantee governability from the past years. And it's still going to be uh, the Centrão is still going to be the party uh, parties that are going to guarantee that the president can govern in Brazil uh, in the political system that we have. I, I cannot guarantee that it's a game changer, but it's a really important step for him.
0: And it's funny, we were talking before recording this podcast about how some forces are aligning in a way that it seems that pieces are falling into place in favor of Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, Diogo, yesterday on Monday, the Supreme Court Chief Justice gave a very weird, to say the least, very weird statement relativizing the 1964 military coup actually calling it the 1964 movement and not clearly stating that it was a dictatorship. What does that mean?
2: Well, um, that is a very important uh, symbolic uh, declaration because it has been a consensus in Brazil in the last few decades, even among conservative historians and sociologists and si- political scientists, that 1964 was a military coup d'etat. It wasn't just, you know, a, a regime change or whatever. And uh, when you see a Supreme Court uh, uh, president, uh, saying something like that it's it feels almost i mean it, it's just it, it's it's an intuition that it feels like he's preparing for what's to come if he's preparing for a new uh, a mood that the country is going to have you know we're going to re- retell our history uh we're going to say you know like he said that 1964 was a movement not a coup not a dictatorship it's very strange i mean we haven't seen manifestations such as this from other supreme court chief justices so uh, it seems very odd that he would say something like that and we know that bolsonaro is is a very big fan of the uh, of the 1964 regime he'll be the first one to tell you that exactly and he says he has you know the Ustras book by his bedside he was a famous torturer and a uh, uh, violator of human rights during the the 1964 dictatorship so it's a very it's a very odd thing, to say the least, like you said. And, uh, I mean, it feels like that. We don't know how just is going to act as a Supreme Court Chief Justice, but it's very symbolic that he said that.
1: I was just going to add something on what Diogo just said. Because I think uh, what Diastopol said, it puts the military regi- uh, regime and the military forces again in our agenda. It came back on the agenda with Bolsonaro because he's a former military official, but it still, it shows that it, it's not done. We still have a lot to talk about it. Brazil, even though we had truth commission with uh, during the Dilma's government, and then we have the amnesty law, but it's still something that Brazilians are not okay with it. There is a big group that thinks, there's a group right now that thinks uh, it wasn't a coup, and then... There's a group that thinks it, thinks it was a coup. So I think that's something that, especially with uh, government, if Bolsonaro wins, that's something we're going to see in the agenda back again uh, to discuss.
0: We live in a very strange time because it now seems that everything is a war of narratives. So the left wing will say, well, look at the evidence. It was a coup. It was a dictatorship. People were tortured. People were murdered by the state. People in the Bolsonaro camp will say, well, that's your way of looking at it. Uh, We were fighting communism, and we did what we had to do. Why, Alana, in your opinion, doesn't that strike a chord in people's minds? I mean, I, I kind of understand why very young voters might not be sensitive to that because they didn't live and they didn't see the dictatorship. But a lot of people who did witness what happened between 1964 and 1985 they don't have that same excuse.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I just wanted to say is there is an official narrative. Like the Brazilian government already admit the murders. There, uh, it's not a sto- it's not a story that somebody said or somebody told.
0: Uh, and even during the military uh, regime, the generals themselves admitted it was a dictatorship.
1: Yeah, so there is plenty of documents. That, that's something like. That, this is our history. It's not something that we can start changing and moving in different directions. But I, I, I kind of I understand, especially the young voters that, like I said, they didn't live during the regime. They, didn't have, they have no contact with, the, with history, with characters that were part of it. And they're not scared of military regime again. Should they be? I think so. I think so. I think I, I think we're we're moving after thirty years like we have a democracy, and I think uh, that's one of our uh, values that that we should uh, prevent going back to a military regime. I think it doesn't make sense for Brazil right now. That's something we have to uh, we have to discuss and we have to look after during the election election period. It's a period that we should support democracy, not start questioning it.
0: Diogo. Not everybody who votes for Bolsonaro, obviously, shares every single value he has, he he defends. We cannot say that 31% are, by definition, proto-fascists who don't care about minorities in any way, shape, or form. Why voters that are not going to the Workers' Party are almost necessarily gravitating towards Jair Bolsonaro?
2: Well, I guess one thing you can say about that is that the left is betting too much on the rejection of Bolsonaro, and we haven't seen many propositions to uh, to address corruption, to address public, secu- public security, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, I think that's one of the things that uh, the regular voters, people who you know just you know pay attention to elections, want to see, want to see someone talk about, and uh, and at the same time as people do not necessarily share the same values as the, that Bolsonaro, you know, preaches. Uh, Star Solano, she's a, a sociologist that works here in Brazil. She 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 researched Bolsonaro voters in Sao Paulo and in the outskirts of Sao Paulo. And she found out that people tend to relativize what he says. I mean, they don't take it very seriously. They say, oh, Bolsonaro is just, you know, he's just exaggerating. You know, he's just like that. He doesn't hate gays. He doesn't hate women. You know, he just, you know, speaks his mind whenever he can and uh, he's not going to, you know, but we need someone who will, you know, take a stronghold of the country and put things back where they were and, you know, they they see that the the affirmative policies towards women, towards black people, towards, uh, you know, native Brazilians, uh, they see those as unfair to hardworking people, and I think the left has not been able to understand that. I mean, the left, uh, Lula invested a lot in social programs, invested a lot in, you know, including people, putting people into in university, lower income people, and it, it, he didn't see the backlash that, that, that could cause, and he didn't address it as well when it, it showed itself to him and to the workers' party. So I think that's one of the possible explanations of why uh, the left hasn't been able to harness that power again.
1: And going back uh, the beginning of our talk, uh, that explains a lot of this swing votes from women. Like the from, they were uncertain who they were gonna vote. They couldn't decide it yet, and now they're starting to decide to vote for Bolsonaro. They think he doesn't he he doesn't mean it. It's not he's not being serious. He just says stupid things, and all this you just you just don't think he's gonna be able. Uh, to do this. Like a lot of people, I heard a lot of people in, during the the Women's March saying that, oh, but in Brazil, the president doesn't have all this power. The power is in Congress. So I don't think he's going to be able to do, to do this or to do that. So I think people are not taking him seriously. And I think we should start taking... Every single candidate and every single proposal they do, seriously, it's not a joke.
0: Uh, A a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Felipe Campante, a political scientist from Johns Hopkins University, who said, well, if he wins, nobody can say that they didn't warn us of what they wanted to do. He's not fooling anyone.
1: Yeah, that's true. Like He has been saying out loud his plans, so I think we should take it seriously. Not only Bolsonaro's plans, but PT plans too. The leftists have an agenda, and we have to look at this agenda and to realize that this is also the agenda that we're looking for.
0: You mentioned you talked to a lot of women about Bolsonaro's misogynistic statements, and they didn't give... It much importance. So, what are the main priorities for these voters? Because for me, sometimes I think that people look back to Dilma Rousseff's administration and all the economic mismanagement and the disaster economically that her administration was and say, well, whoever it is, I just want to be safe in my job. I just want to do my groceries and not worry if I'm going to make ends meet.
1: Yes. So talking to all those women made me realize, this. first of all, uh, they want something that Bolsonaro is promising, that it's a safer place, especially the ones who are mothers and have kids. They want and they think that he is the the candidate that can give this to us, uh, to them, the idea that your son is going to leave the house and is coming back. Uh, so they give the sense of hope. That nothing's gonna happen, especially because he's promising to give guns and the idea of, uh, of of having a gun. I can see that a lot of women think this could be a, an option to protect their family. There's a lot of of the of the speech of the narrative of the family of protecting the family that I think uh, it gets women. And the other one it's the the sentiment of the corruption that it took uh, place with during the PT government. And they think that it's enough. They already took our country. Like this is the main narrative. Like, okay, okay PT, I gave PT a chance and look what they did. So I, I need someone else to try to, and I don't need PT again. I need someone else to try to save this country from a crisis. I need my son and my daughter to get a job, uh, go back to school, get a job, come back home safe, and I think Bolsonaro is selling this idea of this is all going to happen with him.
0: I want to ask you both one question, one last question, and uh, for what each candidate must do in this final five-day stretch in order to get with momentum into the runoff stage. Well,
2: um, that's a very hard question to, to answer. But, I mean, if I had to... to To say something, I mean, and I have to, (laughs) I would say that uh, the candidates should be more, they they should present more proposals for the country and not only rely on, you know, antagonizing Bolsonaro. They should say what they're going to do with the economy, how they're going to make the country safer, because that's what people want to hear in the end and Bolsonaro has been doing that he has been very shallow but he has been very clear and that's the problem and if I were you know if I was working in one of the campaigns I would focus myself on proposals clear proposals convince people that you can change the country without resorting to someone like him
1: exactly i think uh even though we have uh, only five days left until the uh, until Sunday, the, the day of the elections, I think the candidates still have the opportunity to present why they're running uh, for president and why someone should vote on them. And especially looking at the we're talking about the women's vote, and they're the ones that could make a big difference. Like start addressing those issues. They're not uh, issues that people are complaining. Uh, with no reason, people people want to know what are the plans of the candidate for their life. Like we're in a big crisis, political, moral crisis, economic crisis. I wanna I wanna know what are the plans uh, for the next administration and for the next government. And I wanna be part of this of this campaign. I wanna be part of the government. That's something that Bolsonaro did really good. Like he made people feel uh, people became part of his campaign. He was really good in addressing the issues, even though in a shallow way. But he put people in the center of the campaign. And I think the other candidates didn't do it. And people want to be part of the decision. They just don't want to sit and watch TV and see what are the ideas of this candidate or the other candidate. They want to be part of it. And
0: one thing I I think it's interesting, we did a report uh, at the Brazilian Report about that, is that every time people talk about swaying women's votes... Candidates start saying, well, we're going to have a more inclusive cabinet. Women are not looking for that. It's like you said, they want security. They want uh, the economy to be well-functioning. They want practical things. They don't want uh, to be told that, well, we're going to have a 50-50 men and women uh, cabinet.
1: Of course, we also want to discuss this, but I think at this point right now, so I heard something on Saturday from a woman that got my attention. She said like, I'm a feminist, um I'm part of the movement. I support uh women's and but right now it's election time. I want to discuss something that it's bigger than this. I'm discussing the whole country. I want a part of I want to be part of a discussion that includes Political system, the economic projects to take Brazil out of crisis. Not only women issues, like people think that those are women issues. Like every time a candidate talks about women, they won't discuss child education or um, same salary for women and men. But I think women right now won't discuss everything. So I think that's a, that's a point. That that's a that's an interesting point for campaigns.
0: Oh, well, we're going to find out in the next couple of days how things work out. If you like this podcast, please take a look at our website. It's brazilian.report. Every day we have a new content about Brazil's politics, economics, and society. We also have exclusive newsletter services if you want to be briefed on what's going on in Brazil before starting your day. Subscribe now to our free trial and enjoy all of our content for 14 days. It's really for free. You don't have to put any credit card information. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is at Brazilian Report. I want to thank you, Alana, for joining us this week. Thank you. That's all for now. See you next week.